Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment, you're nailing it, and the next, you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan, and on this week's episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast, we're going to be talking about how we can support our kiddos who have learning differences with an expert, Dr. Victoria Waller. Victoria, I'm so glad to have you on on the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do? Okay, good. Well, I've been teaching children with learning differences for over 40 years, which is a long time. And I always called my children, they have learning differences. I've never used the word disabilities. And I think that's very important in this podcast. My children all have abilities. They don't have disabilities. And I think now we are seeing that they're geniuses of our time, like Anderson Cooper, Richard Bramson, Simone Biles, the astronaut Scott Kelly, and many more. I have found every child can learn and become successful and happy if we diagnose them early, we get them help when they need it. Most importantly, and I want everybody who has a child that they have a gut feeling about something's a little off, they have to teach them with their strengths and passions. Too often, we talk about what's wrong with children, and we should be talking about what's right with them. It's interesting because I originally wrote a 360-page book, which is really bizarre, uh, because a principal at one of the schools where I was working with a child individually at home, and she said, you have to write a report after every time you see him. And I said, okay. And every time I'd write a report, she'd say, this is a book. I hear it. This is a book. And so I went, I thought, oh, this is a book. And I took it to an editor, a fabulous editor, Suzanne Kingsbury. And she read it. She says, Vicki, it's wonderful. The stories are fantastic. It's wonderful. Who's going to buy it? I said, well, parents who have kids with learning differences, maybe they have attention issues. She said, but it's a story about one boy. Parents want to know what to do with their child. Every book my parent gets that says ADHD, they open, they tell me this, they open, they buy them all, they open them up, there's a picture of a brain, close the book. And she said, this has to be a book. Who do you want it to be for? I said, well, I want to help parents and teachers too. Mm -hmm. And neuropsychologists, the people that test these children, this book is for everybody. She says, well, I don't see it. It's a wonderful book, but I don't know who will get help from it. 
I put it away on my desk, my shelf. And within two weeks, two things happened. Knock on the door and I open the door and I see this very tall six foot two kid, but he's not a kid, scruffy, you know, hair. And he goes, Dr. Waller, it's me, Dexter. And I went, oh my goodness, Dexter. Dexter was seven years old. He was in my reading class, special reading class. And I was doing claymation. I was very involved with Walt Disney Company. They let me bring my children to every event they had. And he could do, he would build the claymation characters. He would make the actual setup. He would tell everybody what to do. He was seven years old. And the principal said, he doesn't told the mother, maybe he'll work at McDonald's one day. He's not very smart. Mm. And I said, you have to get him help. You have to get him tested. It has to be at a school where he is, you know, understood. And he has to see somebody like me all the time outside of school. And he said, it's me, Dexter. And he said, I did what you said. I said, what? He said, you told my mom I should follow my passions and my strengths. So I did. I said, Dexter, what are your passions and strengths? Trees. I said, what? <laughs> he got a master's degree from Yale, another master's degree from Clark. He had just received a doctorate and he wanted to talk to me about it. And he was going to go for his postdoc on trees. I said, okay, it's the environment, it's trees, how trees help build, you know, bad areas up so that it's nice. And believe me, I never thought. And now, like, if you look up his name, he is like a, the major person in trees in the country. And he has articles and he has everything. And that was just interesting. I thought to myself, gee, that's really interesting. And then another child comes and I had started working with kids as an ed therapist and teaching. And the mother comes to the door, hysterical, crying at two in the afternoon. I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? She said, they want, they want me to test my child. There's something wrong with her brain. We have to go to a brain doctor. And I went, no, 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 hold on, hold on. <laughs> and all of a sudden I realized, I said, there's nothing wrong with his brain. There's a lot right with his brain. He was seven years old. He couldn't read or write, but he could tell you about every animal. You could ask him about any animal and he could tell you 20 facts about that animal. And all of a sudden I thought, that's what my book has to be about. It has to be about the what to, you know, the pregnancy book, it's called what to expect when you're expecting. And it takes you on a journey every month of what's going to happen in your pregnancy. And I thought, that's what I have to do. My book has to be a book telling my parents what to expect. And it starts out with the very first one is he's not he or She is not going to snap out of it. They a parent always has a gut feeling. The other parent says, oh, they'll be fine. They're not going to snap out of it. You've got to get them help. So, so I made my book a step-by-step -step journey for that parent who has that feeling that something's just amiss and exactly what to do. What is a neuropsychologist? What do you mean I have to get him a tutor? Do I need an ed therapist? Do I need a teacher? And that's what I did. I made my book different than all books. And Dana Buckman, who started a fabulous and promises project in New York, where they test, neuropsychologists test for free children mm -hmm. 
from the inner city, which is amazing because those tests are like $7,000. So expensive. And Dana Buckman said, my book should be the first book a parent reads. And I can tell you about the journey if you want me to, the step-by-step so you understand. Yeah. So I I love the step-by-step approach in your book. And it has, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at the outline, it has kind of every question that the major questions that I get that I'm on the receiving end and that parents are thinking, but I'm kind of curious about what are some of those things that are happening as a young child enters into schooling that get a parent getting that gut feeling? What are some of those early like warning signs that parents can be on the lookout for or noticing when they see them in their child um, that should kind of ping in a parent? What are some of those things? Well, I think when they see the child, and it really doesn't even have to do with a slow talker, slow walker. It's when you're seeing your child in a setting and the child is either being very hyperactive and can't focus. If you were in, let's say, the preschool class, even at four years old, I can go into a class and I see the kid that's running all over and can't really stay focused. And I also see not only boys, I see girls. And it's interesting because Stephen Henshaw has just written a new book. It's coming out in a few months and it's girls and ADHD. Mm-hmm. I see a child quietly not focusing. Those are the ones that the parents are mostly surprised about because they'll go, but she sits quietly mm-hmm. or he sits quietly. It's inattentive. And every time people say ADHD, hyperactivity, I have found the students that I get in my private practice are the kids that have been overlooked because they're quiet. I had a student, I had this big tree outside my window. I had him for three years. He was a very quiet and attentive. He would, you know, not be listening. He would be thinking about something else. And he said to me after three years, he says, you know, you have an alligator on your tree. I went, what? I've been sitting here for 30 years and I love the big tree. And sure enough, now, (laughs) whenever I look out the window, I see... Max's alligator on the tree, Mm -hmm. but I never noticed it before, but he would just sort of go out. So if you saw that when you were younger, you saw a kid going from a child going from thing to thing or a child just sitting there and you called them 27 times and they're not paying attention to you. Although with now the computer and everything, you can do call your child 27 (laughs) times and they don't reply because they're involved in the computer. But a lot of those things, the teacher's saying your child just isn't picking up things. They could have speech issues. They could have motor issues. They, it, there, there's many, many flags. And I think with learning differences, the flags could be not noticed because they're a quiet child. The children that are hyper and running from thing to thing and can't sit still like a motor is going, parents tend to notice that first. They don't notice the one that's inattentive at, at, and you'll hear it from a teacher. A good teacher will tell you, you know, Susie's sitting there, but she's really not when we tell her to do something, maybe she's not doing it. Yeah. And any of the things to do, it was funny. I sat in a meeting with a very, very famous person in LA. I'm in LA. It's very Hollywood. It's not unusual <laughs> to have, you know, parents of kids. And I said, you know, he's seven years old, and I think it's time you really should get a speech evaluation. He has a lisp. And with the lisp, he's having trouble when he's spelling because he's saying it wrong, so he hears it wrong. 
and he's writing it wrong. And they both looked at me, and this was major person in Hollywood. He said, he doesn't have anything like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Vicki, what did you do? What, maybe it's a different child, you know? They left, I go running to his classroom. I said, oh, come on out with me. Let's read a little bit. Huge list. Hmm. But because it was something they always heard. So sometimes, and it can be a teacher saying something about your child, or you can just see like, why aren't they? They're so smart. That's mm-hmm. what everybody will say. But my child's smart. He can't have attention issues. One thing doesn't have to do with the other. Of course, yeah. I have never, ever, and this is, I'm old. This is thousands of children I have taught. I have never found a child that not have a passion and a strength. And that's what I use to teach them. A parent came in a couple of months ago. I said, what are your child's passion strengths? She went, well, he likes the computer. I said, well, is there anything else he's really good at? Or, And she said, no, he just likes to be on the computer all the time. Child comes in. I said, what do you like to do? He says, oh, I love to build with Legos. Okay. So the next time he was here, I bought him a little tiny Lego thing. And I thought I would start out by doing that. Give him a little Lego thing to make. And he comes in and he laughs. And one minute he puts it together. And I said, what kind of Legos do you put together? He says, oh, the ones with 10,000 pieces. <laughs> I said, can you read the directions? He says, no, Dr. Waller, I can't read. I just look at the pictures. Now I want to tell you something, Laura, I look at those pictures. <laughs> there is nothing in my brain that puts anything together that has five pieces, let alone 10,000. And then he knows everything about whales and sharks. But I mean, like an encyclopedia, I hooked him up with Michael Packard. Michael Packard was the man, lobster fisherman, a year ago, June. He was lobster fishing like he's been doing for a long time. And a whale put, caught him in his mouth. I was fascinated by the whole thing. And the whale spit him out. I called Michael Packard. We have Google now. You can find everybody. And I said, this child knows all about whales and sharks. Can he interview you? He said, absolutely. We read, I read to him. He couldn't read. I read to him every single article on Michael Packard. We looked at videos and he made up questions. I typed up the questions and I knew because he was smart. He was going to remember what he wrote. He read it. Maybe he didn't read every, but he knew what questions Mm -hmm. he was asking. He sat here like an ABC interviewer and interviewed Michael on Zoom and waited, paused when he gave the answer. It was amazing. And then I typed everything up, the questions and the answers, and I used that to teach him with. I want to dive in there because I think that this is a a big premise of your book and something that everybody in my audience wholeheartedly believes in, that all children have unique talents and passions and that finding those natural strengths within them are kind of the avenue for their growth. This is something that I think we all believe in, but the practicalities of it can be difficult sometimes. So figuring out what those passions and strengths are for your unique child, I think can be hard um, for parents and for teachers. And then figuring out how do we go about supporting our children's learning through those strengths and passions, especially for the families who perhaps don't have access to a wonderful support system like yours, or, you know, teachers who maybe are under-resourced and have, you know, way too many kids in their classroom to do such individualized instructions. What can we as parents do in these settings? 
things in these circumstances? Okay, first of all, you have to know what your child likes. You really do. I taught in the inner city in Detroit. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't give teachers a pass when it comes, and that's why my book is for teachers also, so that they understand who these children are and that they are smart and they can work. And my step-by-step will help teachers too see, wait a minute, these kids are smart. What can I do for them? When I taught in the inner city in Detroit, there were 40 desks, there were no pencils, no books, nothing. And that started Vicki Waller begging and borrowing from every person I ever met. I go into stores, I go into toy stores, I got everything. The children were supposed to do something like the American Revolution. These kids in the inner city of Detroit in the 70s were not, they did not care about the American Revolution. And they said, well, you could do the, the principal said, well, the United States. I said, I think that would be good. Let's do the United States. I had the children, I taught them how to write letters and they wrote letters to their relatives who wrote letters. Notice there was no, there was no No email, email. no email, (laughs) wrote letters to all their relatives. I got stamps. I got everything donated. Then we put up the whole room became the United States. And when they and they all received letters back, which was really interesting. A lot of the uh, parents were from the South, the relatives. And we put the letters up in every state and they learned about states. If a teacher, if a parent knows, okay, even teachers, when they're giving something to do, like whatever they're studying, maybe this child, an art, this child who did the uh, shark out of clay, he made a shark of which I've never seen before in my life. Unbelievable with feet sticking out of the mouth because Michael Packard was stuck in there. I think if teachers read my book, if parents read my book, they know, okay, the child's not going to snap out of it. Okay. How do we get testing? You can get testing in schools. You can get free testing in schools. And I'm telling you, they're as good as neuropsychologists who cost $7,000. Parents have to accept their child for who they are. If they need medication, then they have to accept. That's like if you need medication for maybe you have something wrong with you, you take a little bit of medication. You have to hire the right person. Sometimes, can I tell you? Fine. I have a doctor. Big deal. Vicki Waller has done it for 100 years. She has a doctor. Guess what? Your second grade teacher that your child loves, and she's been teaching for 50 years or five years, but she's gifted and loves your child. That's the person you get. So you don't have to have a doctor necessarily. You can have the favorite teacher. I had a girl I met the other day. We were sitting around a table and it was very funny. She's 32. And she said, I have learning differences. She said disabilities. And I said, I bet you don't have disabilities. Tell me what you do. She's a famous, um, she, she dresses uh, Hollywood movie stars. She's not, doesn't have, she didn't think she had any ability. She has plenty of abilities. And she said, you know, I saw my second grade teacher till I was in seventh grade. She said she saved my life. So it doesn't matter. You have to find, hire the right person or, you know, to help your child. You have to have books. Now there's so many ways to get books online and and that you could be reading. And if a child can't read, I had a child couldn't read. His father had read him every book 
that I ever would even have in my thousands of books in the garage. The father would read to him every night. So the child was getting it through being read to also. The team is very important. The parent, the teacher, if there is a tutor, you get together, how is the child doing? Communication is really important. And the most important is finding your child's strengths and passions. I had a parent who the child loved doing contests. Now, I never had that before. Contests. And she had the child enter contests. And now on, on, on the computer, you can find a million contests if that's what your child is into. And you won't believe it. She made, remember the heart kisses at um, Valentine's Day? And they have little sayings on them. So you ha- it was a contest. And she won like $10,000 or something. And they put her heart in the box, hugs and kisses. That was her. So every child has a strength. And I, I say that because the children who have differences, parents and teachers aren't looking at their strengths. They're looking at their, that the things they can't do. We need to focus on what they can do. Reading, writing. Even executive functioning, when you think about doing something step by step, watch this boy do 10,000 piece Lego. He's doing step by step. He's got it. We just have to transfer it and he needs help. So I guess in those situations, you know, one of the things that I get asked about a lot from parents is that they see their child's unique strengths they see, you know, they've worked really hard to figure out what approaches work really well for their child and they're mastering it at home. Things are going really well at home, but their child is struggling with a mismatch with the teacher at school. And parents are worried about alienating teachers, about pushing. And so do you have any tips for how to work well with teachers, particularly teachers who might be a little resistant to doing things a little differently for kids who need it? And, and by the way, I just want to preface this by saying that my entire family, out of my entire family tree, I have one uncle who is not an educator. And so my my entire family are, are teachers and I adore teachers and respect them so, so much. And I know personally, from personal experience, how taxed they are, how much pressure we put on them, um, how under-resourced most of their classrooms are. And so I, I just, I love teachers so much. And at the same time, parents have to learn to work with them and how to get them on their kid's side, you know? Yes. And it's interesting that you're saying that because I really think during the pandemic, it was really difficult for teachers. It was because I was doing it and I'm not used to, I mean, listen, I had a computer in my classroom in 1975. That's how old I am. There was this thing called a computer and I would go to these reading conventions and one of the places was Borg Warner, which was a computer. uh, They had just started making these things called computers. And they were giving them free to teachers to see if they worked. And I had a computer in this little room that was really a hallway that they converted to a reading room for me because I saw about eight kids at a time. We were in a reading in, in a hallway. And I and you know, I didn't like it because the kids wanted to keep being on this computer thing. They didn't want to listen to me and do projects. They just wanted to be on the computer. Of course so they did. I've had computers for a long time. 
I remember um, when my mom was my mom was a special reading teacher, so she had her oh. a, a reading a reading resource classroom, and in the summer she would get to bring her computer home. And I remember playing word munchers all summer long. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I learned to read. No, but, <laughs> so I think there's an in college, you maybe get one book on reading, and there's maybe one chapter mm -hmm. on a child with learning differences. I find it's the parents have to really get their child involved in it. They, but I think what happens is the parents are so undone about what's wrong with my child that even when they come to me and I interview them, they never tell me all the things that are right about their child. And mm -hmm. then I find it out and I build their confidence through that. And I have learned it's really, that's probably what I do the best. And I didn't realize it till this, it was Passover, a Jewish holiday, and the children have to read at the Passover table. All of my students have a nervous breakdown. You know, they go around the table and they're counting, what am I going to have to read? And of course, I tell the parents, practice one page a couple weeks and have your child read that and that'll be fine because they'll remember what they're reading. And when I called the father, I had his child like 10 years ago, and I said, do you remember that I got an email and it said, call me ASAP, I'm crying from the father. And it was on Passover and I knew what happened. The child had to read and he couldn't read. And he said, I can't believe it, he read. And so when I called him this time, I said, do you remember that email? He said, yes, but it wasn't that he read. I'm gonna cry. Mm. It was that you had given him the confidence to read. It wasn't that he was reading. Yes, of course it was. But it's what you gave him that's a gift he still has. And he's in uh, 11th grade getting all A's. And he still has somebody who helps him with his mm -hmm. massive amounts of homework. But that confidence, you know, when you go into a room, even now I'll go into a room, you could just tell that person that just has confidence is talking to everybody and the other people who are like quiet and staying in the corner or whatever. And when you have confidence, if parents can the only thing that I know that works is when you have a teacher doesn't understand your child, you get the tutor outside of school, you get his old second grade teacher to work with him. You, If he loves playing sports, get him into sports where he's feeling good. It's very hard if there's a teacher. I had a principal who said, this child is never going to go to seventh grade. And the child was in kindergarten. I just met the mother the other day in the market. Do you believe it? And now the child's like 25. And of course, he's so fantastic. But she said, the child, I said, what are you talking about? The child's in kindergarten, just has a little inattention. That's all. And I had the mother do my step by step, which I've been doing for years. Let's get him tested. Let's find out what we can do, get somebody to work with him. But can you believe a principal said that? But, but that's why my book is written. It is written like Dana Buckman said from Promises Project. This is a step-by-step -step that every parent, every teacher will understand and go, oh yeah, that's that kid I have. Maybe I should try to work something out or parents. And I find that even if the kids are good in sports, that's wonderful. Talk about confidence. If they're good in sports, if they're good. This little boy who the mom said, oh, yeah, he likes Legos. If you I can show you that shark, you'll just go, what? 
And he's not using plasticine, which I use. He's using that real clay that you put water in. I don't even know how to do that <laughs> with the with the feet coming out. And he just did an unbelievable camera project too. I use old cameras. And if you have that stuff for the child at home, if they love art, if they want to do sports, whatever they want, I know it's really hard now because the kids the kids are stuck on the computers all the time. Well, it's really it's not hard just the to kids find too. those. There's a lot of pressure on parents. I think I have yes. a lot of compassion for parents that, you know, because when we see our kids showing up differently than how their teachers are expecting them to and how the world expects them to, it can create a lot of anxiety within us. And, it, you know, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I work in, in, fields where there's lots of privileged parents who are highly educated and then they've got this kid who's a little bit different and isn't doing the things that they expected them to do or isn't responding to a, a packed schedule in the way that they're expecting or their way maybe their their our friends our adult friends kids are are responding to it and i guess i just you know there's i love that you're giving permission to to relax on some of those things to just give be, you know, wait a minute be happy because I've never met a child with learning differences. And I'm telling you, when I say thousands, thousands that didn't have that special part of them and that were not smart. I think it's interesting on the um, spaceship, Richard Bramson, he has, dis they call it dyslexia. I will never call it that because dyslexia is inability to read and my children all learn to read. So I don't like that word at all. Uh, they have learning differences, but he said, they said, how did you feel the 10 minutes you were up in space? And he has learning disabilities and attention issues. He said, and he said, well, he said, the thing that happened that was sort of funny is you had two seat belts. One seat belt you let go and you could fly around. You know, you could move around for the 10 minutes. And the other seat belt was your seat belt for your parachute. So they said, undo your seat belt, your right seat belt, so you can float around. And because he had learning differences, he unbelted oh, no. the seatbelt that let go of his parachute. And I thought that was so classic. Like that was just, it was, it was classic. And I just feel that I hope this book is, the book is written for teachers. At the end of every chapter, there's a box with the takeaway of the chapter and there's a box for parents and teachers. Here's what you do. So a lot of my book has a lot of the wonderful stories about children. And what do you do? You get them tested. You get them, you do, you go step mm -hmm. by step. It has to start with the parent. I had on Zoom, <laughs> I had a student that made himself an alien. Now, truthfully, I'm somebody who works with kids who I think are very creative in one way or another. <laughs> and so I thought it was sort of, I saw his little face, but all the rest of him was an alien. <laughs> And the teacher called me and went, I can't stand this. Why is he an alien? And I just, I had to laugh. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, it doesn't bother me. I realize in the classroom, maybe you don't want him to do that. And I wrote it into the New York Times. They put it, they said, what's different about your time in, in, during quarantine? And I put, I'm taught an alien to read. It's something that didn't bother me, but I could see where a teacher with the whole classroom wouldn't be so happy about it with the kids' faces on the computer. But, but, but Victoria, I think that, that you're hitting on this very critical mindset shift that is so important with kids. You're able to look at that and see his creativity, see his unique spirit and delight in it. 
versus looking at it through a lens of this is a kid who's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. This is a kid who's goofing around, who's making a scene. And leaning into those unique passions and strengths and channeling them and letting them, you know, build within the child and then directing them for the good of the learning. I mean, it's a it's a very big skill that I think teachers have to learn and that parents have to learn how to advocate for. Because you keep Well, that's why you have to get my book. Yeah. It takes them on a step by step. You can't say you don't know about it anymore if you read this book. That's why I'm saying it's for teachers too. They're gonna look and go, Oh, that's what he does. Oh, this is what mm -hmm. I should do. Now the big part of this is the testing and if the child needs medication, that a listen, that saying okay maybe that will work now you want to try without you want to try different things fine but if your child is failing in school and failing in school and it's because they can't pay attention and they have these differences you've got to get them help yeah and, and medication I, the way i've always viewed it is that it, it gets kids up to a level of functioning where the other things that we're trying can have a, in, a better effect you know so absolutely it, it gets them access to the the internal resources that they need to be able to do the things that we want them, you know, and the resources that they have yeah. that they can't do because they're either inattentive or they have yeah. some learning differences, but getting them help. And I'm telling you, you can, there's always that, that the woman who I sat with who's 32 had that second grade teacher who saw her all those years. And she said, I really, she told my mother and that's why my book is done. You know, there's, there's, it's done for, parents, teachers, and colleges, because colleges, there's nothing about learning differences. They go, oh, he has learning disabilities. No, differences. They have differences. But the children that have these differences, I'm telling you, I've never had one that was not smart and didn't have wonderful interests. I just mm -hmm. didn't. And the team, the child's team is very important. Very important. Absolutely. Who you use. And if they have a speech issue, they need to get somebody to help them. The The public schools do have, I have a granddaughter who has some uh, difficulties. And the public school, they have the speech. She sees a speech person there. She sees an OT there. I mean, they really help. It's just not, oh, I can't afford. It isn't that anymore. There are a lot of people that can help in your school. Yes, I, I agree so much. The The schools are doing so much better now. All right. And so the one thing that as this episode is airing, kids are going to be heading back to school. And for lots of kids who do have learning differences or challenges, that time period can be really stressful for them and for their families. There can be a lot of school refusal that starts happening. And I'm just curious if you have any tips um, as we head back into the school year here in the United States. Okay, so here's my book. Yes, your child can. Creating success <laughs> for children with learning differences. And there's a whole chapter on how to avoid back-to-school hysteria. The most important thing I have to tell you right now, my parents tend to be anxious about their child going back to school. It's a new teacher. They want to write to them. They want to go meet them. Here's what I have to tell you. I was a classroom teacher. Don't come to me in August and start telling me about your child, all these things about, and he doesn't do this and he can't do this and he, and he did. No, no. Take it easy. Write a letter to the a t email to the teacher and say, I do have a child who has learning differences. Hopefully I'm, you're writing, we're getting him help. 
I'd like to speak to you in a couple of weeks when you've been in the classroom. A teacher's putting up bulletin boards, especially mm -hmm. after these two years. You know, it might be a new teacher to the school. They're busy getting ready. They don't want that mother or father in their ear about their kid. And all they're going to remember is, oh, no, I'm getting a kid who can't sit still. Yeah, no, they need a no. chance to have a, an unbiased view, too. Yes. Yeah, yes. for sure. And, and believe me, in a couple of weeks, then they'll be sitting down. Another thing is parents tend to take children off of medic if they're on medication. And I must tell you about medication. It's nothing like it used to be one medication. There are many now, which you would talk to a doctor about a medical doctor. There are many now, and they really just tweak. Sometimes they, it's a little bit they need to just tweak their attention, whether it's inattentive or being hyper. It's just not horrible. It's very like different it than 20. it was in the 80s. It's very different. <laughs> yeah. and you but some of my parents do take their children off medication in the summer. Then they come back telling me that they've had the worst summer in the world. Or like my student in the book, Alex, they went away, the first, they put him on medication, everything was terrific. And then they went away for uh, the Christmas holiday. And I didn't say, I mean, I didn't even think of it at that time to say, don't forget to keep him on medication. Well, they thought we're going to take him off medication. He was so difficult. He was oppositional. He was defiant. And I said, you took him off medication. The medication help that. So don't go doing that. You've, if you've <laughs> taken your child off medication, you have to have a doctor that your child is seeing. Also, as they grow up too, you know, maybe physically they need a different medicine. Also, most children in the summer go to bed later, light out till 10. And all of a sudden the night before you're saying go to bed at eight o'clock. Mm -hmm. No, start two weeks before mm -hmm. just putting him to bed 10 minutes earlier five minutes earlier for the next two weeks. So they don't really see the, oh, it's only 8.05. They won't know by five minutes, five minutes. Otherwise, the first few weeks of school, the child's going to be totally exhausted. Yeah. Relaxing them. Every child gets nervous about the next grade. Start reading to them. My student, Alex, what I love the best is that his father read to him all the time and he couldn't read. All the time they read to him. As I told you, the children who have learning differences and I don't care what anybody says. They're very smart. I don't care what anybody says. I've seen thousands. Read to them. Read books. Joke books. They have so many wonderful books now. And the best thing you can get, two things. The Week Junior. It's the old magazine, The Week, for adults. And The Week Junior is for kids. And it's everything that's happened that week in the world. But like little tiny four-inch articles. Kids love it. It is the best thing you can buy. Buy that now. And and Newsola, which comes on the internet. And it's the same thing where it's what went on, like Michael Packard and the whale. All little interesting articles for children. Start that. Before bed, start, have a little talk. If you haven't done that with your child, it's something very nice to do. How was your day? Are you worried about school? What can I do to help you with that? What are the things you're good at? Try to talk about, so you're really prepping them for what they're good at in case they're going into a grade where it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. And I know you're going to laugh at this. Every teacher in the world, I, I'm telling you, it's true. The first day of school, they say, write what you did on the, your vacation. I'm telling you, they do do that. 
And every child goes, oh, Vicki, they don't do that. I said, just listen to me. Let's practice. What was the favorite thing you did? And they'll think, you know, they won't remember any of the 400 things they did. We went on 17 hikes. We went swimming. I said, okay, look, and I have them write it. And then I always love it because the second day or the next time I see the child, they'll go, how did you know my teacher was going to say, what did you do on your vacation? I said, because, so get, talk to them about that. What would you write? What would you do? Talk about what you did this summer. Let's talk about the books they read. I hope they're reading The Week Junior. What was the most interesting article? There's so many interesting articles in The Week Junior. I don't have one child who doesn't love that, that magazine, and it comes every week. Also, in the car, two weeks before, start talking about, you know, school's coming up. You're going to have, I don't, I, most of the time, I think they know their teacher. I'm not sure. Usually you get a note saying who you're getting. Now they hold it because they don't want parents calling them and bugging them. But talk about, you know, here are the two teachers in the next grade. Do you think we're going to have a good year? What do you think you can do to make the year a good year? What are some of the things you do well? A lot of my kids are very good in math, but they can't read or they're good in ideas. Okay, so when you have to write something, let's, what, what did we do this summer? Oh, remember when we found those? I have five rabbits in my backyard. I just want to tell you that now. My husband goes, Oh, aren't they cute? I go, no, I used to think they're cute, but they're eating my lawn and it drives me crazy. Okay. I would write about the five rabbits in my backyard. Give them some ideas because they'll say, I didn't do anything all summer. And you know, as a parent, you've done 4,000 things with them. <laughs> Even if it was building with, by the way, I didn't talk about building with Amazon boxes. You do not have to have money to have Amazon boxes, a little bit of glue, paper and markers, and have them, I can tell a child, okay, we're going, maybe they read a story on a boy who climbed a mountain. I take them in my garage, which is filled with every piece of junk you've ever imagined. Tops to, right now I have a coffee, a coffee container has these black covers and I'm going, oh, I bet you that would become something. My students can go in the garage. They can go through all the junk and in five or 10 minutes, they can know exactly what they're going to make. Do something with that. Oh, look how good you are at that. Tell them that the teachers are scared too. I have to tell you, I was a teacher in a classroom. I'd be so hyper before school started. Who are my kids going to be? Would I be do, uh, doing a good lesson? And don't, please, parents, do not bother the teachers about your child yet. <laughs> Talk about what they like. They like science. Talk about science. Maybe do uh, Steve Spangler has great science stuff on, on the YouTube. You can watch those. Do it, some experiments with your kids if they like that. Talk about what their schedule is going to be. Oh, so you're going to be doing sports on Tuesday. And what would you like to do an art class? Because you like art so much. Talk about what their schedule is mm -hmm. going to be. Check this class list. Are there kids that he really likes in the class? You'll get that about two weeks before. If there are, say, let's get together. We haven't seen them all summer. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you don't see your friends. Mm -hmm. That alleviates anxiety. Because oh, you're with that friend. Anxiety. You know. sure. yeah, yeah, you'll know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Before school, the weekend before, do a family thing. Go on a hike. Have a swim contest. Have friends over. I had a bark mitzvah for my dog. <laughs> and my student had a hamster mitzvah for his hamster, which was hilarious. Have something fun. Invite some of the kids over from his class. Once school starts, 
it's very important. One parent at least should be putting the child to bed, even if they're fifth grade. They mm -hmm. go in bed and you sit on the bed with them just talking about, oh, what you did this summer, wasn't that fun? Oh, what book did we read you or whatever? Maybe you'll be seeing Miss Smith, who's going to be your tutor. So don't worry, we will have somebody to help you with your work. I find the one parent said to me, he's so oppositional defiant and he just loves coming to you. I said, well, I'm not his mother. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm building projects out of used cameras that I buy on Amazon. If you read a book about a baseball player, I have them build using hot glue, a camera and paper and maybe a little styrofoam top for a head. And they make characters out of an old camera. If you have old remote controls, oh, they make fantastic people. They make people. <laughs> I mean, do things like that. And talk to them at bedtime about things they're good at. And you'll be with Jimmy. You like him so much. These are all things that I think reduce the child's anxiety and reduce your anxiety. Because parents all have anxiety. Sure and, they do. And it's just one day at a time. But I would start two weeks ahead with a little bit every single day. And if they're seeing uh, an ed therapist or a tutor have them start like a week or two ahead. They'll mm -hmm. remember that to they like being it. with them mm -hmm. and just keep reading to them. Just read to them, get them back into that feeling of listening. And if they need to be tested, get them tested. And if they need somebody to help them, that's the most, that's number one in my book. They may need help. And they're such good, I'm telling you, there's such good teachers at school who, who like your child and probably would like to tutor them maybe after school to help mm -hmm. them, but you have to get help for your child. That's the most important thing. And, you know, use their passions and strengths. Mm -hmm. And after they're in school for that couple of weeks and you want to write the letter to the teacher, maybe could we meet like October 1st and don't get scared. Oh, it's a month. That first month, everybody's just getting used to everything. Yeah. Meet with the teacher. And if you have a tutor, have the tutor be in the meeting too, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe they're seeing a specialist in the school, but what you have to more than anything is realize that with your child's passions and strengths, yes, they can succeed. And that's what my book is all about. My book is, yes, your child can. Creating success for children with learning differences. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. And they can all be successful. But you have to follow. You have to follow the step by step. And don't be scared. They're smart kids. Can you imagine... All these years, I've never had a child come to me and I'd say, oh, to my husband, oh, this one isn't smart. They all have special qualities. Every child, and these are the kids in class who maybe are harder to teach. They all have special qualities. And if you use those qualities to make them confident, that word came up so many times, confident. If they had, you know, if you go into a party, there can be a lot of brilliant people and you're like, you know, you don't want to get near them. They're like scientists and stuff. But the one that exudes confidence, that's the one that's interesting. And they may not be a scientist, but there's something about that confidence. And that's what I think. I think it's the most important. And you as a parent, it, it, it's your number one job. Yeah, and to feel good about that. your child. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. This was really a great conversation. And oh, I you're so terrific. You I sharing. like you. 
All right. Um, so yes, um, I'll have links, you know, in the, in the show notes and everything. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, I loved it. I just really love your, I love everything about you. I was reading all of your, I was listening and reading all about you. So thank you so much. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast and if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of, um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.